Ah, let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for the opportunity that we have to engage with your word and your spirit, your son, so that you, Father, would be known more in our hearts and that you would be glorified through our understanding of you and our following of you. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that you provide for us and that you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you simply could not provide for yourself? Imagine that situation just for a moment. If I were a betting man, I would guess that most of us have in mind money to some level or another. That's not bad. It's not wrong. But we have a tendency to view God's providing for us in terms of giving us the finances that we need to accomplish something. And that is one way that he provides but it is only one of the myriad of ways that he provides. And we need to, as we come before him, look for him to provide more than just money to us, but so, so, so much more. Genesis chapter 22 is a story that if you were to flip to it, you would probably know what goes on. But when we say Genesis 22, we sort of wonder, what story is this? It's the story of Abraham and Isaac when God has asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And if you know the story of Abraham and Isaac, you know that Abraham was way too old for kids when Isaac came along way, way too old. And he had no heir. And so God provided a child to him. So not only was this child precious to him because it was his child, this child was precious to him because it was the only means by which God's promise to Abraham could come true. And that was a promise that his children would be more numerous than the stars. And ultimately, that the Messiah would come through this lineage. And now he has this son through whom the promise can be fulfilled. And God says to him, now go sacrifice your son. Genesis 22. I'm going to wait till the verse is up there. I want you to read along with us. Or not out loud, but read along with me. Genesis 22, verses 5 to 8. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. 
And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. There's a, there's a phrase used here that many of us would know and we're going to pick on it just a little bit. And, and it's frequently referenced as a name of God, Jehovah Jireh, but it is not. Uh, particularly the name Jehovah does not ever appear in the Bible. It's long story short, it's called the Tetragrammaton. And what it is, is it's the Hebrew consonants for the name Yahweh. And you have the Jews who will not speak the name of Yahweh lest they use his name in vain. And so they put the letters of different lesser words to it. So we see that it would say Lord, and they would say Lord, not Yahweh. So we read in English Lord, but it says Yahweh, and they would read Lord, not Yahweh, so that they didn't misuse his name. As we then tried to take a, a language that we don't know and put it into English, we, we took the Hebrew letters and we just sort of put them in order, and we came up with what looks like to us Jehovah, but they never would have said Jehovah. They would have said Adonai is what they would have said, meaning Lord, as though Lord of the land, not Yahweh. So when we come to this, what we see is still the, the idea of Jehovah Jireh, which would really rightly be translated Yahweh, Yahra, God will provide. The meaning doesn't change. But we come to this text and Abraham, ready to sacrifice his son, says, God will provide a lamb. We come down to the end of the story or the end of this section of the story in verse 14 after Abraham is ready to kill his son to sacrifice him to the Lord. An angel stops him and then Abraham, it says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Yahweh, Yahrah. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What did God provide? That's, that's really the question. And the answer to that question is of vital importance to us. Because if we misunderstand what God provided, we will misappropriate it to our own lives. So what did God provide? God provided exactly what he demanded of Abraham. That's what he provided. He demanded sacrifice, he provided sacrifice. He didn't demand sacrifice and provide money. He didn't demand sacrifice and provide good feelings. He didn't demand sacrifice and provide ease. He demanded sacrifice and he provided sacrifice. As we apply these scriptures about God being provider to our lives, we must hold tightly the idea that God will provide what he demands of us, not what we want 
not what we demand of him, but what he demands of us, which makes the question we have to ask then, God, what are you asking of us? That's, that's the question, and it's not just us as an individual or us as individual families, it's also us as collective group. What are you calling of us, and what you call of us, we will do, and we will trust that you will provide. What else does God provide? If we're going to look at God's provision, what things does he provide? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God demands death, and so he ended up sacrificing his son so that we don't have to die, providing what we needed for salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. What then is Apollos, who is an evangelist? What is Paul, who was an evangelist? Servants through whom you believed as the, Lord, as the Lord assigned to each. Meaning, Paul evangelized when he was called to. Apollos evangelized when he was called to. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So what did God provide? Growth. To the people, meaning the working of the gospel of salvation into their hearts and then the outworking of that gospel in their actions. God caused the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Contextually, he who plants and he who waters is Apollos and Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds-ish of the New Testament. And he is, in his own words, nothing. Is that the kind of humility that we take in perspective of who we are? Or do we see ourselves more important than that? And as soon as we start to see ourselves as more important than simply servants through whom God does his work, then we start to see ourselves providing for whatever it is that we need, not God providing what it is that we need. And that is a dangerous place to be. Do you know where the easiest place in the world is to trust that God will provide? That place where you have absolutely nothing. And then the more you have, the harder it is to trust that God will provide because we start to errantly feel like, think that we can provide for ourselves, but we can't. What else does God provide? John chapter 15, verse five. I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does Jesus provide in this case? Everything you need. Everything you have apart from him, you've got nothing. 
Meaning then that he's providing all of it, the growth, the maturity, the ability, the fruit, the faith, whatever it is. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So it's not just what we have, like money sort of things, but this is what we accomplish, what we're doing. We can accomplish nothing apart from him. He is the provider of the results. He provides us life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Do we need life? Well, yes, we need life. Without life, what are we? Well, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is the, this is the moment where God separates humans from animals. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is the image of God that he is putting on humans. When he breathes life into Adam's body, he had already formed the thing and then he breathed life into it. He didn't breathe life into animals, which is where we say there's some distinction. It's not just that we breathe air, but this word life or breath is this idea of spirit. He breathed this in and gave us life. And then Jesus promises to provide life. Not just life that sort of gets by, but life that is abundant. Not abundant in possession, but abundant in value. He provides that. He provides salvation. He provides growth. He provides the fruit, the ability, the results. He provides life to us. So what do we do with that? Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20 is a truth that, that makes the shift, uh, not that we haven't been talking about it, but, but we had that mentality in the beginning that, that most of us, when we think of God providing for us, we think of finances. There's a shift to, to bigger than that in our daily life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to God our to to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen what will he provide every need of yours which encompasses which needs I mean, if we really believe this, what needs is Jesus going to provide to us? What is God going to provide to us through Jesus? Which ones? Every need, which means when we walk out of this room and we need something to get through the day, he provides that something. It's not just money. It's not just possessions. Sometimes I need Patience. And it never has anything to do with my kids. <laughs> and when I need patience, you know what Jesus provides? 
patience as long as I don't think that I can make it happen on my own. As soon as Brock thinks that Brock can coerce patience out of himself and do it strong enough and well enough, he will fail miserably in being patient with his children, his friends, his wife. Because it's not me who provides the patience. It's a need of mine that is provided by Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean there's not effort that we put in. There is. We're called to work alongside the Holy Spirit and what he does while recognizing that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. I can't even be patient on my own. And I need to rely on him to give me that. He will provide every need of ours. How often? And to what extent? Like, these, are all, these are all great ideas that we have out here, that he'll provide everything that we need, that he gives us what we need for salvation, for life, for growth. But to what extent does he do that? Because one time we asked Jesus to give us something and he did. And it didn't last. You ever been there? God, I need you to give me X. He gives X and it didn't last the duration of our lives. Matthew chapter six, verse 11. This is a really short phrase with lots and lots of meaning. It comes in the middle of a longer phrase that we all know that starts our Father in heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Which means what? How much are we asking him to provide Back to Genesis or Exodus chapter 16. To answer that question, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 16. Do you know what goes on in Exodus chapter 16? If you don't, you could. You know how? By opening your Bible. And I don't mean open it like read it every day. I mean open it, you could open it right now. Exodus chapter 16. You don't have to, I'm going to tell you what's there. <laughs> I'm sneaky like that. Manna. God sent manna on the earth every morning for the Israelites to have enough food to make it through that day. Actually, not even to make it through that day, to make it through till about supper time when quail came that they could cook and have meat for supper and then they could be hungry again in the morning and God would send manna so they could be hungry again at night and God would send quail so they could be hungry again in the morning and God would send manna and they would be hungry again at night and God would send quail. And do you know what happened if they took enough for two days? It turned rotten by the next day. God didn't want the Israelites to feel like they could store up enough to have extra. God wanted them to tangibly feel in the pit of their stomach their need for him to provide food. And then Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Let's paraphrase. God, please give me just 
barely enough to get through today. So that by your grace, I could ask tomorrow to get just barely enough to get through tomorrow so that I could watch you provide for me over and over and over again. It is amazing. I I can speak to this from personal experience. It is amazing to watch God provide for you in ways that make no sense to you. It is also terrifying because you only get that provision that you could never see accomplished by being in a position where you can't imagine how you could have your needs met. It's wonderful and it's terrifying. And there's a fine fine line to walk between prudence and faith But the question that we have to ask as individuals, as families, and as a family, a Bethel family, is what is God calling us to do that he is going to provide for? As opposed to what is God calling us to do that he has already provided for? Or what is God calling us to do that makes sense to me that he could provide for, rather that we could provide for? And I'm going to make one sort of running away from the topic comment because I don't want to get too much into this. If we, if we look at our budget today, tomorrow, end of the year, and we say, what can our budget handle? Do you know what we're really saying? How much can I provide? And and like I said, this is a running away comment. We'll talk about it again later, probably when somebody chases me down in the hallway. But we will talk about it later at that point. But what we need to do is ask the question, God, what are you calling us to? And when God calls us to something, then we do it, even if it doesn't make sense to us. But that's where a group of people need to all be in the same page on that. And not just one person running out and doing this and saying, well, I hope you all figure out how this is going to work. No, this is a group of people saying, no, we believe this is what God is calling us to. Allison and I had a situation like that happen. We are so far from perfect, it's unreal. But we had a situation like this happen when God called us to do something. We felt so deeply inside of who we were that God had called us to do a certain thing that was so far beyond our ability to accomplish financially. And we said, God, we sense that you're telling us to do this, we don't know how in the world that could work. I mean, we had ideas about how we could maybe sort of, kind of make it happen, but it was gonna be crazy. And so we followed what he called us to in that case. And then he provided for us, financially in this case, in ways that we never could have imagined were going to happen. Now, if we were to go out and do it again right now, same thing. He might not provide any of it. Why? Because right now, we don't have the sense that he's calling us to go do the same thing. It was when we sensed as best as we could in following him what we were to do that he provided what we needed and what he demanded based on what he called us to. And that's the line that has to be walked, is that God will provide what he calls us to, what he demands of us. But that doesn't necessarily work if we just choose to sort of throw that on him and say, oh, well, 
I don't think this is what you're calling me to, but I'm pretty sure I need a Ferrari. I, I mean, it's maybe not guaranteed, but I'm pretty sure that's what I need. I could get like one-eighth of my family in that car. But that's what we are to do. And he calls us, he calls us to asking for daily bread. Beyond that, in Matthew chapter 4, he reminds us that man does not live by bread alone. Meaning what? Not just in the concept of food, but in the concept of physicalness. We don't live just by physical things, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. We have that spiritual component to us that is of deeper value than just the physical. If we move to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, and I know if you're following along on our, on our online stuff, you're going to see that I've skipped some verses. And that's okay. You can read those. They're great verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Seems like a really weird segue, doesn't it? And that has almost nothing to do with what we've talked about. And if you thought that, you'd be right. Because those verses are very off topic. But now we come to what God is providing for even the enemies in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God brings those things that, that give provision to people who don't deserve it who haven't earned it in any way. Do you know how wonderful that is? Because when we step back to not just God sending rain and giving us food, and we come to salvation, we cannot forget that there is zero part of it that we earned, zero part of it that we deserve, zero part of it that we made happen. And he offers it to us. As people who's worked for death, he offers life. Though we deserve zero of it. What does it mean? What does it mean that God provides for us? What are we supposed to do with the truth that God provides for us, that he is the provider? What are we supposed to do with that? We are supposed to recognize that we're maybe not as good at this thing called life as we think we are which should cause us to look at the people around us and say, if I'm not as good at it as I think I am, they're not as good at it as I think they are. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised when they fail. I'm not talking about gross sin, moral failure. That is not what I'm referring to. But we shouldn't be surprised when people don't live up to perfect expectation. When we recognize that we're only making it through the day because God provided what we needed for today, God provided the patience, God provided the kindness, God provided the love, the joy, the peace, 
the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control, that God provides those things to us as we abide in him, then should we be surprised when somebody else fails in one of those moments? Or should we give them grace knowing that we are only making it through if we are making it through by the fact that God provided what we needed for the day so that tomorrow we could come to him and say, God, I had just enough patience to get through 8.33 when the kids went to sleep. And now I need it again tomorrow. I got just enough kindness to get through the day. I had just enough goodness, enough love to show people to get through the day. Now give it to me again as I know that I can only make it through as you provide it to me. And when we recognize our daily consistent need for all of that from God, it should exalt Christ in our minds knowing that one time he provided all that we needed for salvation. We don't need it again and again and again because he gave it to us once and once we have it, we have it and we are justified before God. And then when we recognize our daily need in all of the areas that we feel like we might have some control over, we can see Christ exalted as the one who offered us salvation forever. Because we see God as the provider, not just of our salvation, not just of our money, but of everything we need on a daily basis for everything and an eternal basis for salvation. Who is God? God is the provider. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you for your son, for your character, for what you've done, for who you are. We pray, Father, that we as people would recognize our desperate need for you to provide everything that we need, from food to clothes to money to patience, virtues, character. May we, Father, as your children, trust you to provide all of that for us so that, Father, you would receive the most glory, so that you would receive the most honor, so that we would share you with the people around us. We love you. And we thank you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.